you know, when you are a, a struggling, whether it's a songwriter or an actor or a model, whatever it is, when you're in this, this hyper-competitive atmosphere, anybody that's willing to give you attention is, is a, is, it's a big win. Um, because that publisher could have easily looked at me and said, yeah, you know, he's no different than any other cat that comes through here and then just brushed me off and my life could have been totally different from that, that moment forward. Matt Rogers is a songwriting dynamo. He has written for major country artists like Brett Aldridge, Luke Bryan, Dustin Lynch, Justin Moore, Chris Young, Jimmy Allen, and tons more, even branching out to other genre artists like Jordan Sparks. Matt started his music career in Nashville like many other artists, but it wasn't until a chance opportunity allowed him to play some songs for a publisher at a bar while filming a documentary that things started to click into place. Matt joins us to share his experiences as a songwriter on this episode of The Big Break. Hello, Matt. Thanks for uh, joining The Big Break Show today. How you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Where are you? Uh, where are you calling us from today? Right outside of Nashville. It's a town called Hendersonville. We're about uh, oh, yeah. 20, mile, 20 miles north of Music Row. All right, right on. I uh, I am familiar uh, yeah. from the times that I spent in Nashville. I'm going to guess that's not where you're originally from, though. It seems that's one of those. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't sound like I'm from the south. No, it's just that no one that I've ever spoken to in Nashville is actually from Nashville. It's, yeah, it's, it's actually it's actually a rarity to find you know born and raised Nashvilleians. You know. But I, there are there are some, but uh, it's it's um, it's more common to have people outside of Nashville coming here. But yeah, I'm from uh, the Wilkes-Barre Scranton part of Pennsylvania, uh, top right hand corner. Okay. As I tell people, if you've ever seen the show The Office, that's yes. pretty, much, pretty much where I'm from. <laughs> I guarantee that's the only, that's the only. But she said Scranton, I'm like, oh, The Office. That was that's yeah. what went through my head. Yeah. Right on. And uh, so actually, lately I've been asking my first question. I've been asking folks is just you know how you've been. Um, how you been holding up with uh, with uh, everything in terms of the uh, the distancing and the shutdowns? And it's been affecting you at all in terms of work and things like that. Well, uh, work actually has been pretty seamless. Um, you know, the Zoom writing. I think everybody was a little bit um, hesitant about it at first because it you know it takes out the personal nature of sitting in a songwriting room. But um, if you're comfortable with guys that you write with, um, it's 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 really just uh, just another day at the office. But for um, my wife and I, um, we have an 18 month old, and then two weeks ago we uh, we just had a baby girl. So, oh, congratulations! <laughs> Thanks. So, in quarantine, with my wife working at home, me writing, chasing around an 18 month old, and now having a newborn, it's been it's been a little bit of a challenge. So you're like you're fully in the cloud, so to speak. I, I've been uh, I've been through it. Like dude, you're, it's a circus, man. This this house is an absolute circus. <laughs> I know. I'm just thinking about like sleep in general, you know, just like two weeks, man. That's like, right. That's like right into it. So yeah, uh, it is <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Well, I'll, I'll take it easy on you today. Then you're, you're, you're in a fragile state clearly. So. Oh, but this is, this is nice. I was, I was talking to my brother earlier. I was like, it's, it's going to be nice to actually do something and, and feel like a, like a, a working adult where I'm not, you know, cleaning up shit or I'm not, you know, trying to get a, a crying baby to go to sleep. So this is, this is actually a thrill for me. 
Totally get it. Totally get it. So, so listen. Um, so just what I would always like to ask once we get kind of get past the, the normal stuff here. Just I'd love to understand a little bit about your your history in, in the music in the music business. Like, and but even before that. So, mm-hmm. like, just obviously, you know, you're a songwriter. We'll we'll talk a little bit about what you're doing now here in a moment, sure. and things like that. But like, let's bring us back a little bit. And just I, I, how did you first like even. I don't know, like get into music in general, like even not even, even before you were thinking about, Oh, Korea yeah. and things like that. Just like, what was your, how, how did the, how did the music bug bite you? I guess. Well, my dad is a musician. He's um, an absolutely amazing singer. Even at 71 years old to this day, he's still in a band. Um, they do, you know, the Eagles and the Beatles, Crosby, Stills and Nash. So um, he was always playing a guitar when I was growing up. Um, so I took to the guitar pretty early um, but mostly just as like a hobby. And then when I was about 18 or 19, um, this cat from my, my hometown, um, named Kevin was uh, pursuing a, a career in hip hop and he needed somebody to write hooks for him. Um, you know, that you could sing like in between, you know, in between rap verses, he would need like a chorus. So he just asked me one time if, if, if I can give it a shot and it, it, it actually came fairly easy to me. Um, so I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. But, you know, at no point did I ever really think I was going to pursue music, like, like songwriting as a career, because I ended up going to graduate school at Syracuse for journalism and I wanted to write for Rolling Stone. So, but the first job I got out of grad school was in Nashville. And if you have, you know, any musical bug inside you, and you move to Nashville, it, it's going to pull it out of you. So when you know, I moved here in 2006 to edit for a magazine, and I've been here ever since as a staff Th- That's interesting. So we got to dig into that a little bit because I also have a journalism background. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, no, I actually I was at Billboard magazine for like seven years. Oh, yeah, and that's another yeah. that's another publication that I, I was I was very interested in, but I always wanted to write album reviews. I see. Okay, interesting. So so, so there was just something about the. Um, the stability and uh, uh, <laughs> um, you know future prospects of journalism that just seemed too secure for you that you decided you needed to. Uh, <laughs> it, it just it just pays too well. Yeah, it just pays too well. And you had to switch gears into something else. Like what was the yeah. deal? No, That's really funny. Yeah, it is funny because you know when you're 21, 22 years old, and you know you know I was at, like I said I was at Syracuse grad school and thinking about these jobs, and I, I really wanted to live in New York City and. I look back on it. I'm like, man, like I was so stupid to think that that was even possible to afford having a career in journalism in New York city. You know, you, I just, I, I just don't understand how people do it. And I think nowadays it's completely antiquated notion to think that you can be a journalist surviving in a major city. Oh no, it's, it's insane. And I, we, and we can, that's like a whole nother podcast. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, but anyway, so I, I'm curious about this. So you, you you went to journalism school and you wanted to be what I mean, you wanted to write album reviews. So I'm going to interpret that as sort of like a music critic, basically. Yeah, I, I always thought like, and when I say album reviews, concert reviews, album reviews, um, interviews, I just, you know, I love music so much. And I, I, I grew up listening to so many different genres, you know, like I said, that was my next that, question, actually. Yeah, yeah, it was like, what was your what was your your style? I mean, as a, as a fan, I, I will say still to this day. Um, I just can't get enough of like the Eagles and CCR. Um, I love that classic rock that kind of mixes rock and country. Um, 
but it, you know, throughout high school and into college, I was also really into R and B and like Neo soul, like D'Angelo and Maxwell, um, stuff like that. So I was kind of all over the map and, you know, and also being a kid that was really growing up in the nineties grunge was huge. So like stone temple pilots and shit like that. I just, I was so across the board with, with stuff I listened to that I just felt like working for a journalism magazine would allow me to sort of dive into all those different genres pretty seamlessly. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So you come up, but you you graduate and you get a job. What if you don't mind at me asking, uh, what was the magazine you were working for in Nashville? Oh my God. It was a healthcare magazine and I had to get, (laughs) dude, it was terrible. Um, but you know, for, for 23 year old, um, you know, they offered me like, I think it was like $35,000 to edit. I edited their, um, morning newsletter but I had to wake up every morning at like 4.30 because it had to be out to like all of these physicians and hospital execs by at like six. So it was, it was really tough, especially when you're young and you move to a new city. Like you want to be out, you want to be mingling, you want to be having a good time. And when your job requires you to get up at 4.30 in the morning to edit, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a little limiting. Yeah, it limits you pretty hardcore. You know, I, you know, I think I just I'm, – I'm having my own little flashbacks here, man. I totally understand what this is like. I mean yeah. different situation. Like I moved out – I moved to Colorado and I thought I was going to be like you know, writing stories for Outside and Ski Magazine and sure. doing that whole thing, right? And I yeah. ended up you know, working for the local – you know, the free weekly newspaper where, yeah. you know, you're, you're interviewing the, the grandma about her quilting or something. Uh-huh. Like yeah. So I, to- I feel you 100%, man. I totally get it. So you're, so you're, but you're in Nashville. Yeah. Now, was there a part of moving to Nashville for this healthcare magazine gig that also crossed over into your music writing ambitions? You figure, okay, I'll get, to, I'll take this job at, in Nashville because it's in Nashville. And then maybe I'll start writing for or music magazines on the side or, or tra- eventually, you know, uh, jump to another publication. Was that sort of the plan? Yeah. Or was it just I, randomly Nashville? Well, it was definitely, ra- it was randomly Nashville because I remember after Syracuse, I moved back with my parents in Pennsylvania to, to figure out um, what I was going to do. So I applied to jobs. I mean, I applied to any publication that had an opening, whether it was, you know, the Pacific Northwest or, or was somewhere up in Maine. I mean, there was no, I did not discriminate on where I applied. And it just so happened that of like the three responses I got out of like 200, one of them was in Nashville and that was the one that hired me. So I, it, it wasn't like, okay, I'm just going to move to Nashville for this job and hope that it pans out into music. It's like, that was the one job that I got out of grad school. That's amazing. Crazy, That's amazing. Man. And, and again, and again, I totally understand where you're, where you're, where you're coming from. It the, the 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 road sometimes is long and crooked, as they say, right? It but, is, uh, man. But it gets you where you need to go. All right. Yeah. So uh, we'll get back to that in a little bit, I think. But <clears throat> so I guess you know you're in Nashville. You're writing for the healthcare magazine. I don't know how long you were there for, but like I was only there for a year. There for a year. So when did you first start dabbling with the songwriting part? Because that's like a an I mean. I understand the journalism background since it's mine, but I, you know, if you gave me a hundred thousand dollars and told me to write a song, I, you're going to be awfully disappointed. Like, <laughs> well, I couldn't do yeah. it, so. like I said, I had been working with people back in Pennsylvania and not only just that hip hop artist, but um, I met a guy by the name of Scott Young in Allentown through a friend and Scott, I mean, we're talking like 2004 at this time. So Scott was learning pro tools. Um, he was building tracks, building beats and 
we hooked up through a mutual friend. So I started going down to his place in Allentown usually like three times a week. And we would just sit and write songs. There were, there were definitely more along the lines of like, uh, more like R and B blue eyed soul stuff, but it really, um, helped me dive into, you know, the production side of to see how a song is put together. Um, you know, on, on his side, being a producer, how, you know, the functionality of it. And then me trying to, to write choruses and hooks. Um, so, um, but again, this was more like, I don't want to say just for fun because I felt like we had a purpose, but you know, I just feel like it was two guys that were like, Hey, I like writing music. You like writing music. Let's, let's just fuck around and see what happens. Right. So it was there before I moved to Nashville. That's interesting. So I, I don't, I'll just use the word hobby for now, just for lack of a better yeah. word. Maybe that's not accurate, but you're doing this kind of a hobby was, was part yeah. of it also. And I'm, again, I'm thinking like a journalist now, right? Like as someone who became a journalist, yeah. um, was, was any of it just like understanding that behind the scenes portion of writing, producing, et cetera, that you were thinking of in terms of helping you write whatever reviews or, and such that you would want to do later? You know, just <laughs> no, understanding that behind the scenes? Yeah, it was kind of weird because um, this was happening before I got the job in, in Nashville. So there was, right. like a, there was like six months in between graduating from Syracuse and moving to Nashville. So in that six month time, I was just going to Allentown with Scott writing tons of music. And again, I I don't really think it wasn't like we had a dart and we were trying to hit a bullseye. Like that's our goal. We were just doing it because we were young and, um, there was a passion for it, but, um, no, there was never any, any direction to it at all. That's cool. Oh, it's very Zen, right? You know, just sort of do it without expectation and kind of, yeah. And you're having fun, so you so you already had a little bit of that um, activity, yes. Maybe mindset. You're in Nashville, and it's not. And it, like, at some point, those two things are going to come together. It's sort of like magnets. I'm imagining. And, so and that's like, yeah, that's the way it works. So, what was the thing? Like, what was the? What, what, you know, I don't think your partner, your, your writing partner, probably wasn't in Nashville. So, how did how did he you was start? not? He acted. The oh, crazy right. thing is, when I moved here for that job, he drove down two or three times. Um, he packed up all of his all of his gear. <laughs> And he came, I had this little loft over on the east side of Nashville, um, and he would set up his gear, and I would um, make my closet a rec- like a, a vocal booth. And, and again, we would just keep churning out music. Um, so I think at that point, with him coming down there, I think maybe he even realized it before me, like, okay, buddy, you got something going on here that maybe we should try to pursue. So how and, did you do that? Um, you know, I started taking the music that we were creating, I started skewing it a little bit more towards country and I started taking meetings at ASCAP. Um, I, I started trying to take meetings with publishers, uh, meeting new songwriters. And once you get out and see just the amount of people doing what you're doing and struggling the way you're struggling, it's only natural that you connect with people. And that's, that's sort of how the snowball effect happens in Nashville. You meet one writer, that writer likes what you do. So that writer says, Hey, I also write with this person. One of the three of us link up and it just keeps, it keeps branching outward from that. That's interesting. I had a question about that. Actually, I've been meaning to ask this yeah. uh, for a couple of guests and I never got around to it. So I'm, I'm glad I finally remember, but this whole idea of like, you're in town, you're writing some music and you start taking these meetings with like the PROs, ASCAPs and BMIs yeah. and whatnot. Like how, 
easy or hard is it to get those meetings when you are essentially just, you know, fresh faced from, you know, Scranton, you know what I mean? Do they just yeah. meet with everybody wants to see what happens or is it, is no. it more of a process? No, I mean, it's, it's tough, man. ASCAP, like PROs are easier because they want you, regardless if you're signed, if you have any success, they want your business because if you ever do become successful, then they profit, which is fine. That's, that's why they're, they exist. So yeah. they will take, they will take, a meeting with any writer and say, Hey, here's what we can do for you. Um, so those meetings are easier to get getting meetings with publishers and song pluggers and record execs. That shit is hard. And, um, it's, it's so I mean, I think it's even more rare nowadays, but you know, in 2006 or whatever, when I was or seven, whenever I was trying to do it, I mean, they just always say, Oh, cool stuff, man. Come back, come back when you have some more. Um, and when you're younger, you think, oh, man, there's no way they've ever heard what I'm bringing to the table. And the truth is, yes, they have. They've heard it all. And, you know, that's what young writers sort of had to be cognizant of. It's like you might think you're changing the music industry as a whole, but you, you, you're just not going to. You, you're just reinventing the wheel and finding your own little spin on, on you know, what it is you do. Right. So – all right, so let's figure this out. So you're you're, you're doing the, the, the easier meetings with the PROs and whatnot, but and you're still writing and, and such. But how, how did how did things? Act, I mean, what were the what were like the little uh, breadcrumbs along the way that that kept you moving? Because I mean, it didn't obviously happen all at once, right? There, no, it never happens all at once. I mean, right? So like, you know, what what kept you going through it? What what kept it? You know, what, I had, what kept your momentum? Yeah, I had you know, I met some really good buddies that. Um, same boat as me, guys that to this day are still some of my best friends, guys that I've, I, I, I write with, I've had cuts with. Um, we kind of just had our little circle. And, um, you know, when one of us was down, the other was like, you know, man, you got to let's just, just keep plowing through. You're writing good songs. And, and we just kind of kept moving together. And like I said, when you have two or three guys that you write with, each of those respective songwriters will have people that they write with and you naturally start saying, okay, I'm going to pull you in on this one, or they're going to pull me in on this one. And, and your circle of songwriters expands. And then finally you land in the room with somebody who's got a publishing deal and you hope that they say, man, I got to introduce you to my publisher because he's going to love what you do. Um, and that's really what you do. You just keep, you know, you just keep trying to roll that snowball until, until it lands on something, you know, that'll help get you in the door. Now, were you still as you were trying, as you're writing, and as you're out there, you know, uh, making things happen and whatnot? Are you still working for the? Uh, are you still writing for the healthcare magazine? Or no, you? man. They uh, they gave me one year review when I came up, and the publisher, he's a really nice guy. He he actually said to me, he goes, "Look, you you are not a healthcare editor." He's like, "So we're gonna give you a severance pay. We'll give you great recommendations if you need, you know, if you're gonna apply for another job." And I said, "Yeah, man. Give me the severance is cool with me. I'm out of here." And I did what every songwriter in this town does, man. I went and bartended, I, you know, <laughs> I, I bar backed. I, uh, I worked at a warehouse from six o'clock in the morning to noon every day, um, Monday through Friday, making like $6 an hour letting in trucks. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I mean, you just have to grind it out, you know, because whatever you can do, the reason why so many songwriters bartend is because most shifts start at four or five o'clock. So you have, the entire early afternoon to try to go right. So that's that's what so many of us do and have done. All right. Okay. And so 
you're bartending, warehousing, uh, writing. What, what was there a what was a turning point? I guess. I mean, and, and this is before you had your first cut and that kind of thing. But what was, oh, what was, there, was there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, you know, like I like I was saying about meeting songwriters that ultimately end up with publishing deals. I was writing. I can't remember who brought me in, but um, it was a small company called Better Angels, and I was writing with one of their staff writers that day. And it just so happened that they had like a film crew there and the film crew was like, it was like an indie film company and they were doing a documentary on um, a publishing startup. So when I got there, there was like a cameraman and there was like a couple people and they were talking to the publisher and some of the writers and the guy that I was writing with was like, yo, why why don't you play them a song? And I was like, okay, you know, um, so I grabbed a guitar and I, I played a song and then the publisher said, play, play me another one. I did. And a week later, he called me. He's like, listen, man, I, I, I like what you do. Uh, I'd like to offer you a publishing deal. It's not going to be a lot of money, but at least it'll be a start. And that's that's kind of how I got my my start because that I, I have I have I've had a publishing deal ever since that moment. OK, so that's I, interesting. Yeah. So that's kind of that was the that moment was the catalyst for me moving forward and having a publishing deal. And, yeah, that was in. 2009 or 10, I can't really remember, and, and I've been a staff songwriter ever since. Okay, so just when you said play, I just want to make sure I understand when, when they said play them a song. Were you like they were filming a documentary? And they just need someone to play something while they were filming. Was it something like that, or was well, it just yeah? Because yeah, I mean, they were kind of the documentary was like uh, again, it was on an indie startup, so they were just sure. seeing how how sort of the cogs in the machine work when when a, when a publisher's got these songwriters and they're showing up to write songs. So I just showed up as a co-writer that day and they were like, okay, we'll play a song. I want to see how you guys interact. So I really just got thrown into the mix of something that was already happening. You know, I, I'm, I'm a competent guitar player and I could sing. So being put in a situation like that, that was like throwing me to a line. I'm like, okay, here's my chance. I, I can... I, <laughs> This is going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. You're like an extra, like sort of like an extra in a movie, and suddenly you yeah. use it. Yeah, that, that's brilliant. I love that. That's yeah, fantastic. so I, I knew that there was going to be an opportunity there, and and I really didn't want to. I didn't want to fuck it up. So, um, and it, and it worked out. It worked really well for me. That's really interesting because a lot of folks I talk to, they you know they struggle, they struggle. You know, they they somehow get this cut first, and then from the cut they get you know the publishing deal because now suddenly someone pays attention. And this is interesting that that you uh, got a publishing deal before you really landed the song, but someone just kind of saw potential, right? Which is great because not uh, because this is one thing I wanted to see your reaction to, and it's something that um, if you listen to the to one of our previous ones, I I think we, we got into this was the idea of a publisher signing you to a publishing deal because of what they think you're going to do in the future, not because of what you've done in the past. Yeah. And that was the, the first publisher. He was, he was a pretty wild guy. He was a California dude. Um, and th- that publishing company has since been bought out, but um, he definitely was more about looking at potential in writers than a, a track record. And, you know, as, as you get more mature in songwriting and, and you get more advanced in your career, most publishers um, they want you to have, especially bigger ones like majors, they want you to have a little bit of a track record going in because, um, it just shows that you, you've got a little bit of stake in the game. Cause it, cause it's a huge gamble when you take a writer who just moves here and, you know, is, you know, you know, shaking off the dust from some nowhere town and, 
you know, you don't know what that person's going to be able to bring to the table. So when a songwriter has been here for a while, you can at least look at their, their history and say, okay, well, this writer, you know, he or she has gotten this cut and that cut and landed on this record and done that. So it's a little more tangible. So would you, you know, the title of the podcast here is obviously The Big Break. It, was that uh, moment playing for the documentary film that got you the, your first publishing deal? Would you define that in your head as your big break or was there something else that happened afterwards? That you I would, but I, I would um, – I would ax the word big. It was just my first break. <laughs> your, your first break, not your big break. How's yeah, that? it wasn't a big break, it, but it was a break. And that's, you know, when you are a, a struggling, whether it's a songwriter or an actor or a model, whatever it is, when you're in this, this hyper-competitive atmosphere, anybody that's willing to give you attention, is, is a, is, it's a big win. Um, because that publisher could have easily looked at me and said, yeah, you know, he's no different than any other cat that comes through here and then just brushed me off. And my life could have been totally different from that, that moment forward. Right. Totally. But let me ask you this part in terms of like those initial deals though, particularly like in the publishing side, music publishing, right? Like, because you haven't had that track record, are you, is, and I'm frankly just curious because I've never been through this process myself, obviously, but like, do you, do you, what, what leverage do you have in terms of making sure that deal is not a bad deal or, or at least is, you know, a somewhat good deal? You know what I'm saying? Is it just like you just take the first deal you can get and, and then try to renegotiate later on or how, explain that part to me? Well, I will say that I'm, I'm probably not the best person to speak on this subject. And I say that for a reason. My, my first contract was really bad and that contract ended up following me for the next six years. And, um, um, I had a couple hits in that contract that did not pay me what a, a, a songwriter should normally be paid out for a, a radio hit. So I, uh, you know, um, when I, when I spoke to John about this podcast and, you know, we'll get, I'm sure we'll get to it, but just advice for writers is yeah. when you are getting to the stage of like, okay, I, I might be getting a publishing deal the best advice I would give anybody is get a great lawyer and make sure you know um, the parameters of your contract. Because if you go in green, oh man, it is, we are talking potential hundreds of thousands of dollars that could be lost. Well, yeah, because that's kind of what I wanted to, and to the extent that you're comfortable talking about this, sure, but yeah, also understand a little bit better because it's like, you know, on one hand, this first, this first publishing deal was that, was that first break. It, it, it gave you, what at least some base layer foundation of what you needed to to operate in this business yeah. but then when you got success later on something about that first deal didn't quite pan out either so it's it's, it's a weird double-edged sword it feels like and I'm, and I'm just and i'm really fascinated by that it, it was um you know had i not signed the contract i probably that that company that I, that, that i my first publishing deal they were bought out by another company so had I not signed the contract, that other company upon buying um, my the, the first publisher that I wrote for, they probably would have dropped me because I didn't have any hits under my belt. But that contract, um, it enabled me to get into the door of a bigger publisher, which is a good thing because that helped me get bigger co-writes. It helped me um, go out and do some bus runs. But at the detriment of a very bad contract. So when I had my first hit, I saw half of what I should have seen. And when you talk about a hit song on the radio, half is the difference in paying off $80,000 worth of student loans and not. So, um, 
Yeah, it's it is a double edged sword, and uh, I, I'm long since past it. But there are times when it still haunts me. Is it part of? I mean, you mentioned you know get a get a lawyer and and whatnot. So, and I want to kind of explore that a little bit. Is is it is it worth walking away from that first offer if it's too? Uh, bad of a deal or, 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 or is it, or do you take it, but just make sure it's a really short one. Like I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm kind of speaking from a place of ignorance right now, but well, yeah, I'm just trying you know, to navigate this. I, I don't know the answer there because um, having a publishing deal is, is, is very important in Nashville. Um, it sort of validates you a little bit more. Like if you're, if you're just a regular dude on the street playing guitar and you want to get a you want to get a co-write with somebody, it's going to be a lot harder for you if you don't have the representation of a publisher reaching out on your behalf. You know, I write for Sony. So when Sony reaches out to a bigger artist, their management company is more inclined to say, yeah, sure. We'll set up so-and-so with Matt because he writes for Sony. There's clout behind that. Um, So signing that contract, it definitely screwed me in the end, but it did help me advance my career um on on the creative side so yeah it's it's a really tough call but looking back on it no i probably would not have signed that deal i i would have held out for something better but at the time i guess i didn't know what something better was of course yes exactly it's just it's part of the learning process it Interesting. Is. That, that, that's, that's a great true. story yeah well let's talk about something more fun let's talk about that first hit <laughs> Uh, the first what was that? Yeah, yeah, the first the first uh, hit that you got. My yeah. First, yeah, my first number one was um, with uh, Randy Hauser. Um, it was a song called We Went. And uh, I got it, I think it went to radio in like March of 2015. And, you know, it's crazy. They say Nashville's a 10-year town. And it went number one almost exactly to the day of me being no 10 years. Yeah, it was off by like, I think like two weeks. That's amazing. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's funny because when I wrote the song with two guys, uh, Justin Wilson and John King, guys that I've known for years, and when we wrote the song, there's a lot of words in, in We Went. And uh, um, it's got some crazy chords. And we just thought when we got done, we we're like, man, I don't know. We just – we were up in the air about it and um, – kind of thought nobody was going to give a shit about it because it was wordy. The chords were a little funky. Um, my wife and I were watching Greece the night before and I love the, 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 the theme song that, and, uh, I was like, man, these chords are so cool. So admittedly, I, I kind of was inspired by those chords. And, and when you listen to those chords and compare it to what's on country radio, you automatically think, I don't know if this is going to work, but, um, so we weren't even going to do a demo of the song and it was Justin's publisher that was, that said, Hey man, I think there's something to this. So we were like, okay, whatever. Yeah. We'll throw a demo on it. And it was like very fast. Like two weeks later, we got a call and said, Hey man, Randy and his producer love this song and they're going to cut it. So we're like, great. And then about a month or month and a half went by and we didn't hear shit. So we're like, yeah, man, nothing's going to happen. And then randomly I was in a co-write and, uh, yeah, they said it was going to be Randy's lead off single to, uh, I, I believe, uh, the record was called fired up and yeah, it was just wild, but you know, I didn't, I didn't like crack a beer and go out and like do jumping jacks in the parking lot. I, I actually kind of shrugged off 10 years of like, oh, okay, got a single. 
<laughs> you know? it's, it's like because it took it, 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 i would imagine the time that it takes to get there by the time by the time it happens twofold right one it's just that it's 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 almost like a like a relief more than it is yeah. a uh, uh like a lightning bolt right and two it just takes so long from when you're told that someone's going to cut it until it actually comes out and, and oh, yeah. reaction and everything there's, there's just this huge elongated process it is man it's 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 uh, aside from a few guys in town that just can't seem to get off the roll that they're on, for most of us, it is a waiting process. It's hey, so and so cut your song, then you got to wait to to find out if it makes the final track listing, and then you got to if it does make the track listing, then you got to wait and see if you get a single, and you might not get a single. It's constant waiting. So was there anything? That, so once that happened, you know, this was obviously like you said long process. It's hard to be like celebrate, you know, the it finally happened. But yeah. somehow, at some point afterwards, yeah. I would imagine something happened that that clarified or crystallized for you the importance of having that that cut that went to number one. Like, the, what was the the other shoe that dropped? You're like, oh, this wouldn't have happened if I if I didn't have, if I hadn't gotten that that uh, that number one with Hauser. Yeah, I mean, it definitely. Um, you know, it, it helps in terms of looking at it just like a resume. Um, it, it, it helped um, get me into writing rooms that maybe I otherwise couldn't have gotten into. Um, but I, I will say, and I don't even mean this to sound discouraging, but um, this town is so is so competitive that most of the time, writers are just trying to get to the spot that you're in. So while you can use a number one to like say, hey, well, I have this, this number one, can I write with this person? Most people are just looking out for themselves. So I, I, I don't really think it makes a whole lot of difference. I mean, financially and personally, sure, at, you know, from an, uh, a personal standpoint, it makes a huge difference. But, you know, it, it's such a competitive town that most people are just trying to get to that spot themselves. So I don't know how much it, it helps or doesn't help. I, I, I really, it's interesting. I, yeah. I it's almost know. like you have to, uh, it's almost like you can never really take a minute to like sit back and enjoy yeah. with the, where you got to, because you know right. that a, someone's always trying to get to where you are yeah. and B you, you got to be looking to where you're going next. Absolutely. And you have to, as a songwriter, you cannot, um, you know, you've always got to be watching your blind side, man, because there are always new writers stepping off of a bus, pulling into town that are trying to get where you are and they will kick you down to try to get there. And, and I, and I don't blame them. I don't blame them at all. I was that way. I am that way. So, you know, you can sit back and relish a hit for a minute, but that minute goes by fast and you're right back on the grind. In fact, when I found out I had Randy single, I was in a co-write and I just said, okay, this is great. And I went right back to my co-write. And that day I ended up doing a double and writing two songs because I was just like, well, I got to be thinking about the next one. This sounds incredibly stressful, man. You're giving me anxiety just thinking about this. this is insane. I, Everyone else has like this idea of like, you know, the, you know, the songwriter kicking back on the porch, you know, strumming a few chords, yeah. jotting something down on the back of a napkin or something like, no, the this best is way to put it, man, is I think the outside world looks at the music industry as champagne and limousines. And I think it's cheap beer and broke down trucks. <laughs> I love it. That's the way to look at it. That sounds like a song right there for probably already is. <laughs> it might be. 
that's fantastic. All right. So, and in fact, I'm starting to even having to reevaluate the name of this whole podcast called the big break because, you know, you, you, the, the big break is just, it's just getting started. You know I mean? It's like, you got yeah. so much more to, there's like a, a tsunami that it gets. The medium break, the medium break, the medium yeah. break. Yeah. Right. That's cool. Interesting. So, um, Slight switching gears for a minute because you, you talk a lot about writing partners and co-writes and things like this. I, yeah. I've always been kind of curious about like, do you work with the same people regularly or is it better to mix it up and work with people new? Like how, how does that? Yeah. I think you have to, you sort of intersperse new writers uh, where it makes sense. But yeah, you know, when, when you look at, if you went through a resume of, you know, the last 15 years of number one songs, you will, you will see these waves of, um, the same, the same group, like whether it's two writers or three writers, you'll see, um, a pattern where it'll be the same names on songs. And what happens is you just meet circles of, of people that you write well with. And, um, you just stick it out with them. And then what you, what you hope for is, you know, you guys had on Ben Stennis a couple of weeks ago, Ben and I write all the time, sometimes twice a week. We have been writing together since I think 2012 or 13. Um, so we are now at the point where, um, we've had cuts together. We've had success together. So if there's a new write that comes to one of us, we discuss it as almost a duo. We say, Hey, you know, I got this new right on my calendar. What if we just make it a three-way? Because we know what we do and we do it well together. So bringing someone into that, we're confident that it'll, the, the end result will be good. So I think you'll see that with um, just, like I said, these waves of songwriters who've had success. You know, the Peach Pickers with like Dallas Davidson, Ben, you know, ben Hayslip and Red Aikens. Um, you see a lot of Ross Copperman and John Knight writing together. Um, you see Wendell Mobley and Neil Thrasher. Um, you, there's just these guys, uh, that write well together. And, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the way it works. You just have your circles and you invite a few people in, but you definitely have to be cautious about it. Sure, sure. And then on the other side of it, and this is actually where I was going with the question ultimately is this idea of. Do you all is, is it necessary for all your um, co-writers to be with the same publisher, or do you, no. is it, is no, it generally no, no. split? Like, how, okay, no, not at all. No, in fact, you have a better chance of the song. Um, you cast a wider net. Like, let's say I write, I write for Sony, and I write a song with a guy who writes for Warner Chapel, and um, I write with another writer who I don't know writes for Big Yellow Dog. Now we have three sets of publishers slinging this song around town as opposed to just one. So if, when you have three writers who write for all separate publishers, your net is, is definitely being cast much wider. That's interesting. Yeah, this is funny. I've had the, for whatever reason, I've, these are questions that I've had in the back of my mind for like the last, I don't know, six shows or so. And sure. uh, they're, they're finally bubbling out and you, and you get to be the guy who's answering for it. Oh, so that's I, great. I I'm glad. I appreciate that. Exactly. Yeah, I, I hate to cast a shadow on some of the other no, shows. No, not at all. Honest. <laughs> no, every, every show has its own, has its own uh, theme is, is what yeah. I always try to find. So, well, the, tell me this. So it's like, what's, uh, where are, you know, in terms of where you're, you know, looking to go next, like what's, what's, what's your next step? I mean, are you just, happy where you are and just kind of rolling with it or you know is there is there another tier that you're trying to get to now yeah there's a thing called catalog sales in nashville and they really help you you know when you've spent years building a catalog um you can then sell it and you know if if there's some hits in the catalog 
you can get more money for it. And it, it's definitely not all about the money. I mean, I, most of us really truly do love writing songs, but you know, now with a family and a house and a mortgage and stuff and student loans, you know, I think my wife and I would, would love to eliminate some of that. And, um, for me, I, I just, uh, I've had hits and I've had cuts, but I've never gone on what they call, a, you know, naturally a run where maybe in a year you get three or four songs on the radio. Um, I'm hoping that's coming soon because I, I've definitely gotten more cuts in the last year, you know, two years, um, because it, it really helps you, um, you know, it's such a grind with songwriting when you can finally sort of take a breath and say, okay, I'm in a good place. I've had significant success on the radio. I've made some good money. I could pay some things off. Then you can, you don't have to worry about hustling too. And I, I don't want to say too hard because you always want to hustle hard, but you can sort of ease off the gas a little bit. That's where I would like to see my career in the next five years. That's interesting. Like the idea of, I mean, we, I, we, we're now we're kind of talking a bit about what we do and, and I don't want to get too much as this in a royalty exchange ad or anything like that. But this idea, I've always found it interesting, this idea of like financial security, sure. opening the door to more uh, creative or an artistic freedom, right? Sure. That, you know, writing what you want to write, not what you have to write, that kind of thing. Yeah. So you're getting that? Yeah, I think so. I think writing with the people you want to write with, um, having a group of artists, you know, that trust you as a songwriter where instead of, blindly throwing songs into the abyss you have certain core group of artists on the you know who are relevant you know i write a lot with brett eldridge i write with chris young um i write with mitchell tenpenny um you know certain guys that have success you know and if they rely on me enough to give me a call once a month those are good circles to be in because one one single from those guys and you know you're good for a year or two, as long as the song does well on the radio. So having those relationships is super important and I'm still growing, uh, relationships with artists and stuff. But, um, definitely by the time I'm 45 years old, I hope I have a significant amount of, um, artists that rely on me for songs and artists that I could fall back on because it's really hard getting in those rooms and you want, you want to maintain those relationships. And that's, that's my goal is to maintain them and, and, um, try, try to have some profit from them. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's refreshing to hear folks talk frankly about the business reality behind the artistic goals, right? Like, so oh, often yeah. everyone's just like, Oh, your songs are your babies or like, Oh, you know, it's all yeah. about the song. It's like, all that stuff's very true, but like, it is. There's, there's a little, there's a few more steps to it. Than that. I think, I think it was, this was years ago. Um, I think it was kid rock. Um, he was, he was in, the, in the always the start of a good story. Yeah. I, I'm almost positive it was him. And I, 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 I don't know the quote verbatim, but, um, somebody asked him like, why'd you get into music? And he said something to the degree of don't let anybody bullshit you. We all get into, into music for the chicks and the money. And now mind you, um, I'm happily married and, um, but the money part, yeah, man, we are. We look at every song as a potential life-changing um, financial aspiration, you know, because a hit song really can, you know, it, it helped, uh, you know, me and my wife pay for our wedding and our honeymoon and, and to get our first house. And it's going to put, you know, I, I, I hate to sound so domestic, but, you know, I, I look at songs now like how are we going to put our kids through daycare? 
And that's the reality of songwriting is, is those songs allow you to live your life and live it a little more comfortably. That, I gotta say, I mean, it's, it's really good to hear that kind of that kind of thought process. Just because I, I, I get very, I do a lot of communications for World Exchanges, the company, and you know, we are obviously talk a lot with folks about um, you know selling portions of catalogs and things like that. And it yeah. can be a very uncomfortable uh, conversation and, and and sort of a like the mindset. Like, if you don't know someone who doesn't know you know my or our motivations, it comes off as as very almost crass, right? It's sure. just very you know businessy kind of thing. Hey, you should sell your catalog. And it's like, what? I'm not selling like, you know, like that whole idea. But like, in all honesty, like that's, that's something that we've always tried to do. It's like, look, we're not just trying to get people to sell catalogs, sell catalogs. We, we honestly hope to have an impact on people's, not just yeah. careers, but, but lives. And because, yeah. you know, the right amount of money injected into your life at the right time can make a very outsized difference. And so, yeah, it's, you know. it's and, and you have to look at it that way as a songwriter. You know, I, I think my last, when I looked at my ASCAP database, I, I've written, over a thousand songs and I've had a few hit radio. So when you look at like, Oh, I'm selling, I'm selling my catalog. These songs are my babies. It's like, not really, man. They are all, you know, a means to an end. And, you know, I, I discussed a potential um, sale with royalty exchange and it, it, and it didn't work out, but not for any other reason for it just didn't work out. Sure. Um, but yeah, there, there might be a song or two that I'm a little bit more attached to, but in terms of the grand scheme of things, if it made me a couple hundred thousand dollars to sell off a catalog that I, 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 you know, I'd been writing for three or four years, I do it in a heartbeat. I mean, it's just because otherwise you're just sitting around waiting for a potential song to get cut and make you money. It's like, why wouldn't you do it? That's, but that's, other that's, people yeah. might look at it completely differently. There might be some sure. musicians that are so artistically attached to their songs that they won't do it. And there's a respect to that as well. Well, we can go on and on with this one, but it's gonna, I, I, I get very, uh, <laughs> I, get, I get very conscious of, of not wanting to, this is all about, you know, you and your career and, and, oh, and, no, and sure. things like that. So, um, but on that note, so like, listen, this is, thank you for, for sharing your story and, and whatnot, but, um, what, what, how do people find you? How do people follow you? And is there anything like immediately next that you want to, you know, promote or let people know about, uh, um, I'm not big on social media. I never have been, um, Good for you. it's just not my thing. Um, <clears throat> uh, in terms of recent stuff, um, uh, I, I've got one on Jimmy Allen's new record. It's a duet with Brad Paisley called Freedom Was a Highway. He's been, he just played it on the morning or the Today Show. I've got one on Luke Bryan's new record called A Little Less Broken. Um, uh, I've got one on the new Brett Eldridge record. Uh, it's the second track called The One You Need. Uh, it's an absolutely gorgeous song. Brett is, I think he's one of the best singers in town. Um, he's, he's exceptional. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, the cuts are out there and, and I'm landing on records and Ideally, uh, some of these songs will will make their way to terrestrial radio, and, and the masses will get to hear them. That's that's the goal. All right, great. Well, listen, it's been it's been a blast talking today. It's been really a refreshing change of pace for some of the conversations I had. Yeah, right. yeah, and uh, yeah, I had a blast, man. This is great. All right, so listen, good luck to you. I'll be keeping an eye out for those songs, and you know, hopefully, who knows, at some point in the future, maybe we do get a chance to do something together. Uh, Appreciate it, man. Business-wise, I mean, you know, yeah. So thanks very much. All right, thanks. Have a good one. You've just listened to another episode of the Big Break Podcast. 
Big Break is brought to you by Royalty Exchange, an online marketplace matching artists with investors. If you'd like to see if there's an investor interested in your music catalog, simply connect your PRO account to our platform for an instant analysis. Once connected, you can start reviewing offers immediately, or if you like, you can test the marketplace by setting your own asking price. Artists have raised more than $81 million debt-free through the Royalty Exchange Marketplace without giving away any of their rights. We provide the financial security you need to achieve full artistic freedom. Visit www.royaltyexchange.com today. I've been your host, Anthony Bruno. Please check the show notes to learn how to follow me or this week's guest. And if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on this show, please drop us a line at press at royaltyexchange.com. Many thanks to our producer, John Jestel, our audio engineer, David Burns, and to the entire songwriter community for continuing to put your hearts and souls into the music we all love. Thanks for listening.